Welcome to Awakening Genius. This is a podcast and community dedicated to your inspiration and your elevation so that you can live fully creatively expressed. I'm your guide, Dijon. Thanks for being here. Stay tuned in to get lifted. Yo, family, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to share something very exciting, and it's that we are opening up a community and a space for transformation through the practice of poetry on awakeninggenius.club. We've already run it one time where we had people come together and write daily poetry as a practice of connecting with self and taking that self-connection and transmuting it into art. And now we're going to come back together to do it again. And at the end of it, if you feel called, you will have the opportunity to work with an editor and contribute to an anthology of all the poets in the group. So if you're feeling called to join that, go to awakeninggenius.club. And remember, the point of this whole podcast is self-realization through creative expression. And this is one way we can come together to be seen, to share, to connect, to create, and to grow. All right, let's get into the episode. Awakening Genius Family. I have a very special guest today. I have Miss Ashton Swinford. Hi, Ashton. Hello. Hi, Tishan. Wow. It's great to connect with you. And I always enjoy the creative things you're up to, but specifically the new show that you created, Misinformation, is just so good on so many levels. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. It's very sweet of you to say it was a lot of work. I can so I'm tell very grateful. there's many dimensions and layers to it. And I don't want to butcher the explanation of it, but maybe you want to explain what the show is. Yeah, sure. So the show Misinformation is a media literacy project created by myself and another colleague of mine from The Onion. We both used to work at The Onion together. And with the upcoming election, we really thought it was important to take a stab at voter education in a very unusual way of like, how do we reach the a demographic that doesn't think that they need to learn anything, but also has the most to learn when it comes to media literacy, which is a relatively new concept when it comes to the American education system. It's something that's already taught in schools in Canada, but it's not in the curriculum here in the States. And it's really about teaching adults and young people primarily young people because they're so influenced by it, but the new language of media. And you and I as visual creators, as sound creators, as creators are often well-versed in these languages, right? So we understand social media. We understand that the messages we're receiving are advertisements and they want us to want something. They want us to buy something. But if you grew up with it and no one ever had a communication with you, they're only showing light-colored skinned people in this ad. What does that mean for inclusion? They're only showing stick skinny figures. What does that mean about my body size or weight? These kids grow up with issues around 
their own self-acceptance and their own self-love. And it's a real problem. It's creating a lot of the social dissonance and depression that I think we're seeing in young people and adults because we are connected, but we're also so disconnected and we're so far from the questioning that we should have. So this project was born out of that of what's a really fun, non-preachy way to broach these subjects with people who are already using media that can give them tools to think a little bit more about how they use it or what it's saying to them, especially coming up on an election where there's just so much more dis and misinformation out there. And we have a presidency who has coined the term, the po- it's like a post-truth era where facts is who knows what that means anymore. And I think the heart of it is really not to instill people to have a distrust of everything. It's just to have a slight amount of distrust in everything. So to be <laughs> curious, to be yes. playfully curious, what are they trying to tell me? What are they trying to say? Are they making me emotional about this topic because they want me to change my behaviors? It's an interesting landscape for young people these days and adults alike. And I think it's time that we educate ourselves to know what's out there and what has technology made easier to manipulate us into. So that's why it came about, but we just decided to have some fun with it and be really silly and very satirical and sometimes teach you something. (laughs) Totally. I was always smiling through each episode and laughing out loud several times. And For those who haven't seen the show yet, if you've seen the show, then everything she says makes a lot of sense and you can understand the depth that you went into. But if you haven't seen the show, it's like first and foremost, it's just funny. You may not even realize you're being educated until halfway through the episode or maybe until the episode's over where you're like, wait, is this serious or is this real or is this a joke or I'm not sure. And I think that's what's so brilliant about it is like you said, it's not preachy and it's like making good food that tastes good. If someone's a meat eater and you were like, Hey, do you want to try this plant-based burger? They're going to be like, no, I don't want that. But if you just feed them something that is a substitute that also makes their organs not shut down (laughs) and they don't realize it, then that's a good way to transition. And I feel that's the type of analogy I think of when I think of the show, because it's just, Oh, this is funny. People are being silly, but it's also relevant. And then there are also specific parts that seems very informational, like literal information. Like this is something you need to know and be aware of. And I can feel those tonal shifts within the creation of each episode. I'm like, as a creator of content myself, I just respect it. Cause I'm like, I see the tonal shifts that are happening and I see the, the intent and the writing and I can see the bigger picture of the pieces that come together to make what this is. So great job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. First and foremost, we wanted to be entertaining. Our venue is the internet. Hopefully this is something that's shareable and that it isn't, here's the thing is like, we're hit over the head with all these messages of all these things that we should be aware of that we have to keep up on. The news is so loud these days. Why not make something fun? 
And that could lure you into this rabbit hole of media literacy or education, or even the greater game of that we were a part of that has even more messages and even more learnings for you. There was like a component to the larger game that actually taught you some like hacker techniques and like what hackers do and how do they get your passwords. And there's it, the whole goal was to breadcrumb you into learning something while still entertaining you. So I don't know, I was I, I was calling it edutainment, but somebody corrected me. I was like, uh, I think you mean infotainment, but yes, that along that lines of we can inform, but we can also make it fun. Why not? That's what, that's what TikTok is to me. It's, I think that, I don't know if you use TikTok, but that platform is incredible for people just sharing all this educational content mm. in one minute bites. And it's so easily consumable. And I really... I've always been a proponent of this value-added content of I'm going to give you something for spending your time with me. And, and I think that's true of this podcast era where everything is, everyone loves listening to these podcasts because you don't just learn about somebody else's life. You might learn something that might help you in your life that you might, it's more dimensional than just entertainment. And I think that is absolutely the new wave of media of watch us. We'll give you something in return as well as entertainment. And I think we have a unique way of shifting perceptions with especially video mediums because we are able to show a day in the life of somebody who doesn't look or think like you, or we're able to introduce you to stories of characters that you may never have met before that may builds a little bit more empathy or might make you think something or think about some subjects you didn't think about before. Right. So it's a huge gift to be able to create enough to attract eyeballs. Honestly, it's a huge honor as well as it's a huge responsibility because on the same, on the opposite side of that spectrum, you have a lot of people who can make something that looks documentary-esque. And this is, again, the language we're talking about when we're talking about media literacy is I can make something that looks like a documentary, but I might not have fact-checked anything that's in it. And you don't know that. You're just trusting because it's in that format that I've done my research and that these things are true. And all of a sudden I put I bring a guest who makes a huge leap between these two points and you just go with it because you trust the format. So I, I think it it's something to be aware of, but also wary of. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like actually what's going on as far as propaganda and misinformation being spread is not new. That's always mm-hmm. been going on. I think the difference is there are so many sources of it coming because mm-hmm. everyone has a smartphone, everyone has an Apple computer, everyone can create their own narrative. So in a way, this is to me exciting because it puts the responsibility on the consumer of the information to determine the veracity of it. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people that has to do with quality, if something is in really high quality, then that legitimizes it to them to some degree. But if you Mm -hmm. think about Hollywood and all the myths that have been perpetrated by Hollywood back from birth of a nation in the early 1900s about Mm -hmm. the Ku Klux Klan and then the way women were portrayed throughout the century and the way marriage was portrayed in the 50s and all these things, it was all 
programming. So it was the difference was there just weren't as many perspectives so that if you're only taking in one perspective and it's so big, it's on a movie screen and it's being advertised to you all the time, then it's easier to say, okay, that's the way it is. And even if that's not my perspective, I guess that's the way it should be. And now mm -hmm. we know that's just, it's people are trying to sell us something. They're trying to entertain mm -hmm. us. They're trying to get us to buy something. And that's the reality. But I think the important thing that you tapped into when creating this project is that's not inherently a bad thing. It just depends on your intention when you're creating it because people need to be entertained when they're receiving information. And the example I think of all the time is the Marvel movies because mm -hmm. they're the most popular storytelling adventure that human humanity has ever known. And mm -hmm. absolutely. I used to write them off. I was like, oh, that's cheesy. I'm not into that. But when I finally started getting into it and started understanding the messages that were being shared through those stories, I was like, oh, this is really deep. And they figured out a way to get so many people in the world interested in this. Because I know as a creative, we were talking about this before, how we're like, we were like, hey, watch this video I made when you like want people <laughs> to watch it. And you like have to, you feel like almost put yourself out there in a way that maybe makes you feel uncomfortable. But what would it be mm -hmm. like to create something where people are lining up to come see it? What does that look like? And mm -hmm. I feel like they've tapped into that frequency. Yeah. And, and it, it is such a responsibility for them because the morals of the story and how they portray the characters and what types of characters they portray affect so many people because it is mm -hmm. a huge part of pop culture. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I learned really early on when I was working at The Onion, particularly the AV Club show, because our whole thing is pop culture. And the whole, like we framed the show, it's called the AV Club hosted by John Tady. It's on uh, Amazon Prime now, but we framed the whole show around this idea that pop culture is really a reflection of who we are and where we're at in our development as a society. Because the things that rise to the most popular attention have so much to say about us as a culture. What does that say about us that the Kardashians are the most popular family in the US? What does that say? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question, but we should. those are the questions that we should be asking. Why are we lifting up I think in the absence of a monarchy, we're lifting up celebrities to this level as well. And also they are already lifted up to the, that level in um, movie screens. It's like what you're talking about. People are lining up around the block to love and adore them. And they have such great performances. And don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of, I have no problem with celebrities or them speaking their opinions because I think they are incredibly influential people. But I, I do, I am wary of us falling prey to the blind leading the blind in some sense of we are just follow the most popular thing, no matter what it is, without thinking for ourselves, without thinking if this is good for me, is this good for my mental health? I recently was working on a music video. I don't think I can say which one. And I, some of the models that were on the shoot, I was just shocked by how far they went with plastic surgery. And I think everybody should be able to customize their look however they want to, hands down. If you want to look like Betty Boop, go for it, girl. But there's also now a new set of standard for us putting that 
in on a heightened level of in movies and TV shows and in music videos saying this is an ideal standard of beauty and it's not something that you can attain naturally. So what are we saying to women and children that we're saying grow up to look like this or spend your money to get surgery to look like this? So it's just being conscious about all these little mixed messages that we're getting through the media that's based on somebody's choice and being more deliberate with those choices when it comes to making our own content. Because the most important part of media literacy is not only being a wary consumer, but also being a very conscious creator. Mm. So what kinds of messages are you putting in your work? Even if it's what not to do, like how are you framing it? I think for our show, obviously it's a satire. So we're really silly and and stupid at times, (laughs) but we're making fun of the format of the news show. We put just a shiny, pretty face up there and it tells you the news and you believe it. And if they get mad, you get mad. And there's no differentiation between the news and opinion anymore. Um, On some channels, on some, they've done a great job. There's a media bias chart actually that I am in love with. You can look it up that has listed out all the publications and where they fall in reliability or left or right leaning. And it's fascinating, but I think again, it just comes back to this important topic of, okay, so I might read a paper that's on this left end of the spectrum, but it's not so high on the reliability scale. So let me think about that. Next time I'm reading that paper, maybe I should check another paper that's on the other side of that spectrum or that's a neutral. Maybe I should diversify my sources of news because I don't want to just be shaped by one publication or by one school of thought. I want to think for myself and that does require doing a little bit more work, which I think is what is why we got here in the first place is because the easiest thing to do is to just share an article without reading it. The easiest thing to do is just read the headline and be like, oh, yep, I, I know what the rest of it's about. And sending it to your mom. Like my mom still sends me old school forwards from particularly about like COVID stuff that was like some doctor said, try these remedies. And I was like, mom, you got to stop. <laughs> I love you, but <laughs> you're spreading misinformation. So I, that's, I think there's been no other time where we've really realized how deadly it can be than right now because of all the misinformation that's been out there, particularly with COVID. So it, it's on the forefront. People are talking about it. We wanted to just bring it to, in up in a way that's fun and playful and that encourages you to get involved in the topics that you want to get involved in think a little bit more critically about everything you're seeing even the stuff that you absolutely love like what's missing from it what are they saying what are they not saying and then when you go to create your own content having the same conversation with yourself what is my purpose here what who am i including who am i not including that whole conversation I think is going to, and should be a part of our future society. And I think it does absolutely start with the youngest of us now and in schools. And I think it'll spread like wildfire once it's like an idea that once you can't unknow it, you know what I mean? Like you never forget that you should be critical of all media. Once somebody shows you the formula, you just have it. And that becomes a tool that you utilize the rest of your life. So it is a really simple on off switch. It's just a matter of delivering 
that info in a way that people don't immediately shut down. Amen. And I think that you've done that very successfully. So (laughs) thank you. Yeah. And this idea of being critical or acknowledging something as it's really just that person's perspective, or it's giving you information about where they're at. And you were mentioning, Mm -hmm. we don't even know what facts anymore. And it's that to me is okay. It's what are facts really? Facts are ideas that are societally accepted to a certain degree and Mm -hmm. they shift throughout time. Like what a fact is like the earth being flat was a fact at some point. And Mm -hmm. Newton's theories of physics was a fact at some point. And the thing about these facts is if you believe that, then the world works that way. So Mm -hmm. in the physics example, if you believe Newtonian physics, then you can find data that backs up that viewpoint of seeing the world. Whereas if you are exposed to quantum physics, then you can find data that backs up that view of the world. So really what that tells me is that it's not that one thing is true and one thing isn't true. They're both true, but they're different perspectives. So Mm -hmm. when someone is communicating their perspective, telling them they're wrong is not going to do anything productive because that's going to create separation, but it may give you information about where they're seeing the world from. Having that compassion and empathy to recognize that. And perhaps if you have a more diverse viewpoint of the world, like you're not just reading one source and you're reading two sources or three sources or four sources, then you can be compassionate in the way that you try to expand their perspective. And, and maybe it's, it's not even anything forceful. Maybe it's just being non-reactive. Yeah. I think you bring up some really good points because there's two components that of, to the things that you said. And one is yes, Absolutely. It's not that there's alternate facts. It's that there is a systemic confirmation bias that a lot of us hold because it's just a developmental trait of, I'm going to only look for facts that affirm what I already know. And I will find the proof to back that up no matter where I look, because I'm not going to absorb information that says to the contrary. And that's how a lot of these conspiracy theories maintain themselves is they're just like, I, I can't disprove it. So it must be true. Or, and I find other information that ingrains the idea that helps me believe it's true. But the other component of it is that, yes, absolutely. There are two sides, more than two sides to every story. My experience of the same situation is going to be entirely different than yours. Just because we have different perspectives, different conditioning, different upbringing, different values. We could see the exact same thing and think it went down two different ways. And that I think is us evolving as a culture, us evolving as a society, because no longer is thinking binary. We can't think about things as good or bad, black or white, right or wrong. And I know we went into this in the series in a, in a bit, but it's such a dangerous mindset to be like, oh, I know everything about you that I need to know you're, you're bad because nobody is that simple. No situation is that simple. It's being human is this fluid experience of being right and wrong and sometimes doing bad things and doing good things. And If you only embrace one dimension of that, you're never really going to see eye to eye with anybody else. You're never really going to see yourself 100%. And I think that's really challenging for us as a society because it does 
encourage or demand that we expand our mental capacity to stop putting people in buckets. Like, oh, I, I know that person because they're X, Y, Z. Oh, they go in this X box, they go in this Y box, and they go in that Z box. Nobody goes in boxes anymore. Right. Everything is fluid. And I think we're now just starting to understand fluidity, at least when it comes to like sexual orientation or gender identity. We're at least having conversations around how everything isn't one or the other. And I'm hoping that will expand into more areas of our society so that we can accurately connect with each other and stop just slapping labels on things and moving on because it's the easier, cheaper, more convenient way to operate. I 100% agree. And I think that idea of slapping labels onto something makes the world easier to manage, right? Because you don't have to think about that thing anymore. So in that sense, it's providing some sort of safety. But the more you hold on to something that's fluid and you try to make it stagnant, you're holding on to nothing and it's illusory. And that's a recipe for suffering because mm -hmm. you have this expectation or this desire for the world or a person to be one way. And it's just not that way. And mm -hmm. that to me speaks of really what the purpose of life is to me, mm -hmm. which is to be open-hearted in the present. If you're going to be open-hearted in the present moment, that means you have to be available to whatever is actually so in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And we may have a fight. Let's say we have a fight and you really upset me, but then the next day you want to come and apologize, but I'm, my heart is closed to you and I'm still holding this idea that you wronged me. And that energy is actually blocking the connection that is now possible because you may have shifted your perspective or may want to revise it. And even seeing it that way, if I were to see it that way, like you wronged me, that's seeing through the lens of ego, which is mm. through the lens of we're separate and that's you and this is me, as opposed to we're one. And if we're one, then what role is that reflection playing in my expansion? And perhaps mm. it's that I can now embody compassion or forgiveness because both of those things are wonderful internal feelings, but they can't be possible without there being a reason for you to forgive somebody in the first place. <laughs> wow. That is such a beautiful way of looking at the world and so truthful. It does really resonate with me on so many levels. And I think that there is something so beautiful and pure about that. And that especially you touching on the ego component of it, because I really do think that's the one thing that's holding us back from that next level of evolution of being able to see everything on some sort of spectrum that's endless is really the ego because it is hanging on to the I, the I am that I am, the the I am separate from the whole. It 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 I'm more important or less important, or I am separate in this like defiant way that actually only hurts because the first thing that you learn in like therapy or when you're confrontational with people as a child is that 
it is that ego coming up to protect you. And it is very much there as a defense mechanism. And it works beautifully. It is such a gift for that purpose. But at a certain point, you outgrow it. And at a certain point, you can evolve past it. And I, I, I by no means am saying I am good at it yet. Or I've mastered it yet. But having that understanding of how your ego reacts to things or how it is keeping you from connecting with other people is such a huge component in getting us to connect with people that may be on the opposite side of the aisle from us. Or like you said, maybe we felt wronged by, and I've been doing particularly a lot of work recently with trying this new mediation tactics that are supposed to replace policing and conflict resolution sort of things. And it's been a really interesting process because a huge component of being able to see the other person without the defenses up, without the aggression, without the somebody who's wronged you is to humanize them and to understand where they came from and understand why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. And if your ego is turned up, you're not going to be able to listen to those things and you're not going to be able to get a genuine apology. And it might be as simple as somebody saying, I was hurt, so I hurt. And you can feel that on such a cellular level, that emotion that when you're hurt, you hurt other people. And that can connect with you on a way that you might never have seen had you been in that binary system, had you been protected by that ego that was like, this person is wrong. Hmm. And it's a really difficult and sometimes icky process to confront the person who's harmed you. And I don't think it's comfortable for either person involved. But I do think there is something to it of let's clear the air of all of this gunk that is our egos, essentially, is what I really think is what it's trying to heal. I 100% agree. It's This whole situation is an invitation into unity consciousness. Everything mm-hmm. is. I was compelled to re-listen to some of the law of attraction teachings recently. And one of the things they were saying is it's all about focusing on feeling good, right? And if you look at that from one perspective, that could seem really shallow, right? It'd be like, oh, focus on feeling good, but it's not about focusing on pleasure. It's about focusing on what feels good to your heart and soul. And Mm -hmm. separation feels bad. Even if you feel like you're right in a situation that means that the other person is wrong and then you feel bad. So the thing that I've been thinking about in relationships is if you have anything other to say than thank you for a relationship, that means that you still have work to do, mm-hmm. which is a really like deep concept. But the example I like to always give is in a sporting context. So if you're playing on the Lakers and someone else is playing on the Celtics, then they're your enemy Mm -hmm. and they're trying to stop you from doing what you're doing. And they may foul you, which in life is like wronging you, or they may be trying to block your shine so that they can shine. But the deeper part of that is if they're not doing that, there's no game. And you're ultimately part of the same league that the game is being played through. 
So if they're not fouling. You're not growing. Is that the message or if they're not offering resistance, mm. there's no game, right? That's true. So their resistance, they're defending you when you're on offense and your defense of them when they're on offense is what makes the game a game. And that's how we get stronger. That challenge you to be a better version of yourself. Exactly. And even though they're on the opposite team, you agreed to do that. You, mm -hmm. you said, okay, here are the rules. Here are, this is the court. These are the rules. You're going to be on this team. I'm going to be on this team. I'm going to try to do this. You're going to try to do that. And then you have this awareness that even though you're playing a game and you're trying to win, you're trying to mm -hmm. win, that it's a game. You remember that. And I think the way that correlates with life is that we can be in separation in the egoic sense. It's good to have an ego. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation if I wasn't me and you weren't you. But if you lose the awareness that we're actually one and we're separated so that we can be in relationship, you've forgotten the larger game of life. And then therefore you're in ego and you're in suffering and you're in pain. Mm, that's so well said. Wow. I really wish I would have used that uh, euphemism with all my acts. Yeah. This is a game. These are the rules. <laughs> Should have done that. One. Yeah. Uh, I mean, relationships are so rich. Well, it, it is. There's so much there because it just, it's such an intimate part of yourself that can bring up all these other sorts of conditioning. And obviously it's connected a lot to your childhood and your relationship with your parents, which is something that I'm learning in these last couple of years. But also there's that component of, I don't, even if something ended poorly, I don't need you to find closure. I don't need that other, I, I can find closure within myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that touches on one of the, the points that you made is that absolutely, if you're left feeling something ill after the game is over, then that's on you. I've had really horrible breakup stories where even like ghosting situations after like I, I was dating a guy for a year and he ghosted me after a year. And I remember that really hurt on like a subconscious spiritual level of, I feel ultimately so rejected as a human being mm. that somebody got to know me, got to love me. And then the chose this. Mm. And it took me on this journey of, self-discovery that I would have never gone on had I not had that super trying experience. And now I highly recommend don't ever ghost people, people. That's like the worst thing you could do as a human <laughs> being because yeah. everybody deserves closure. And it is, it's saying to that other person that you don't even mean enough to me to say goodbye. And it took me being able to really get some distance from it and to come around with my own conditioning of my childhood, which is really what it was triggering, mm. to find that closure. And I don't know if I would have ever healed those wounds from my very past childhood had I not been given that horrible but also such growth inducing opportunity. Wow. So profound. So in a way it was a gift. It was an invitation. It was a trigger 
that led you back mm -hmm. to a place you maybe wouldn't have gone otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And, and also made me have so much more empathy for those who hurt, which is everybody, because you don't know what other people are struggling with. I understand that some people, the emotion is so overwhelming that it's easier to say nothing than to say something. And I understand that pain and I've seen both sides of it. And I think that it sparked me on this journey that made me choose to rely on my own happiness than as opposed to putting my happiness in other people's laps, which is mm. something that I had been doing my whole life before that moment. So mm. it is really that to me, I feel like it's a concept of the universe is going to teach you a lesson. And if you keep ignoring, it's going to make it louder and louder until you cannot ignore it anymore. And it's up to you to listen and see the signs. Otherwise, it will knock you on your butt. Amen. I agree with that 100%. And I don't think the universe is teaching us lessons because it's some stern Catholic school teacher. It's helping us move into sovereign relationship because- We've all been sold, especially in this day and age, this idea of completion from outside of ourselves, whether it's in a relationship or an accomplishment or some level of success or some level of validation. And completion comes from within with the recognition that you're already complete, you're already mm. whole, and you always have been, and you always will be. And there's mm -hmm. nothing that could change that. You can only perceive it to be different. But the reality is you're always whole. And mm -hmm. you've heard the phrase, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. I feel mm -hmm. like the human experience is the forgetting of that wholeness mm -hmm. and the rediscovery of it. A hundred percent. I've had that experience over and over again, Of even to the point where in my own spiritual practice, I have gotten down... Like I have, I used to wake up for sunrise meditation every single day. And I would meditate on the quarters of the day, whether at sunrise, sunset, solar noon and solar midnight. And for, and I would have the most vivid meditations. And then one day I felt resistance to it. And then I like diverted from that path and I stopped tuning in. And I very much felt like there were chapters I needed to learn before I was ready to go any deeper. Mm. That there was something I had to let go of before I could go farther. Or it was really that I was afraid of what I would find or that I maybe wasn't ready for wholeness yet. Mm. But it's such a fascinating topic to me. It's like we have a ton of our own resistance to things. And I think the most important thing is to be curious of that. Why am I feeling resistance about this thing? What does that mean? And what I've found in the last couple of years, again, is this, it's so connected to your childhood. The first five years of your life, six years of your life are the most impressionable years. Mm -hmm. Like your relationship to other people are so, it's so relevant what your relationship was to, with your parents. Mm -hmm. And it's so relevant because it affects all your romantic relationships going forward. And it affects all a lot of your interpersonal relationships. So conditioning, but it's not a 
death sentence. It's not if you had a bad childhood, you're going to be doomed forever. It's just, oh, that's my brain that's learned to protect itself because if it went further down that road, I might hit something that's super painful or hurtful. Hmm. But there's a certain point where you're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's get in there. Let's crack those curtains open and let the light in. But you have to be mentally and physically ready and grounded for those experiences. I 100% agree. And that reminds me of the Kundalini practice that I mentioned that I've been doing. I've been doing this sadhana where I get up at 4 a.m. or before and then meditate with this community and do these kriyas from 4.30 to 7. And Wow. It's listening to mantras, it's doing breath work, it's doing kriyas, and most it's just trying to maintain my sense of presence throughout the experience mm-hmm. because your mind will wander at different places. <laughs> and some days I'll take a cold shower before and I put on the Kundalini garb and I'm wearing it and I'm sitting up and I'm doing everything. And some days I have the meditation open but I'm laying in bed, just listening to the mantras because that's all I can do that day. And just being able to see myself and witness myself in all these different expressions and not try to change it and be perfect, but to be compassionate and be like, you've shown up every day and this is what you could do today. That's what you could do today. And that's okay. It doesn't change your sense of worth and you don't have to be perfect. It's fine. And I had that experience of talking to myself like that in the third person. And I was like, oh, this is good. This is the process. And I also, in reference to what you're saying about childhood, had this really vivid dream the other night where something that had been lodged in my subconscious, like somebody hit me in the back of the head in the dream. And when they hit me, it like dislodged something from my subconscious. And I became conscious of something about my own patterns, about my ancestral patterns. It just like, it ran all the way deep. And I was like, wow, whoa, this is so profound. And I know it's a direct result of doing Kundalini because Mm. it's very hard to change the mind by working with the mind because you'll get stuck. Mm. And that's why I think that Western therapy is very challenging because it's mental right? Mm-hmm. And you like, that's why people can go to therapy their whole life and, and possibly n- never change. Some people do, but some people can go to therapy for 40 years and nothing changes. But with Kundalini, you're working with the meridians of the body and you're working with the nadis and the energetic points and the chakras and the breath, mm-hmm. which is if people knew how powerful the breath was in controlling your physical system and your energetic in your state of being, like that should be something everyone should know. Hmm. But those things have an effect on the mind. So I know as a result of me doing those things, I was able to access this place in my subconscious that I have never been able to get to before. Wow. That's incredible. Yes, absolutely. It is really deep. And I commend you for doing that work and for 
not being afraid of the messages that do come up. And I, I do want to, for any of the listeners out there who are considering therapy, I, I am a huge proponent of it. it I, I think you'll get out of it as much as you put into it. And I think that there is a certain type of, if you're not ready for the lessons, your therapist is probably not going to push you to go there either. Sometimes it does take a long time to get to the bottom of things on the mental side of it. And yeah, there absolutely should be alternate approaches to it that you should be also working out. But the important part is that you have somebody reflecting back to you what you're saying. They're acting like a mirror asking you the questions to make you come up with the truths from your subconscious. And that can right. happen in many ways. That can happen through meditation. That can yeah. happen through therapy. That can happen walking down the street if you're in the right headspace for it. Right. It's a matter of, are you ready for the truth? And I think that's the whole theme of this entire talk today too, is like, Media literacy, are you ready for the truth? <laughs> Spiritually, are you ready for this truth? Well, are you ready to evolve? Totally. And first of all, I just want to clarify that I'm not dissing, I'm not trying to shame anyone who participates in therapy. I think it has tremendous benefit. What I'm saying is that it's only dealing with the mental plane and we're not only mental beings. We're multi-dimensional beings and we have a body. So you have to deal with the body and we have a heart and you have to deal with the heart. And to me, of those three different dimensions of our being, the heart is what should be leading the charge and the mind should be serving the heart. And the body experiences the choice that the mind makes when it receives guidance from the heart. And if the body doesn't feel good, that means the mind didn't choose what the heart wanted. Mm, the body so well feels said. good. The body feels good. That means you chose what your heart or what your higher self was saying. And when you say, are you ready for the truth? And that's what we're talking about. Truth is internal. And that's why I was kind of attacking facts playfully, but truth comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside. Like, even if you look at laws or like laws change when people have a deeper understanding of the truth, right? Three-fifths of a person, black people or women not getting a right to vote just because it's a law or because it's popular opinion doesn't mean it's right or it's true. It's when people have their own sense of connection to something bigger and they say, you know what? The way this world is working is not in alignment with what I know the truth to be, and therefore we need to change it. Yeah, that's so well said. I wish I could put that quote that you just said about the head and the heart and the mind and the body on my wall so I could remember that every day because it is, for somebody who struggles with anxiety and is a very type A person, it is very hard to listen to the heart when your brain is so loud, but it is absolutely true. Is what feels good. And of course, like, the right thing doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it's going to feel yucky and icky, and sometimes you're going to have to do a difficult thing. But at the end of the day, it's exactly what you're saying. It's the heart knows what the rest of you needs to do. That is your purpose. It's really what drives us through this universe is loving and being loved by ourselves. <laughs> Amen. So thank you so much for 
going so deeply into this space with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the vulnerability. And I also wanted to touch on your human journey because I feel like it's important to understand your progression because when we connected many years ago, it was in LA and you were doing your comedy thing and also acting. And now you've moved to Chicago and you're creating your own independent productions. And I believe you have a collective for women filmmakers and Mm -hmm. it's been quite a journey. And it seemed like over the process of that journey, you deepened into yourself and you took more agency with your career and life. And I feel like there's some wisdom in there that would be good for us to hear. Yes, absolutely. And and thank you for creating the space for us to go deeply. I really am so grateful for you and your beautiful mind and this conversation. Thank so thank you. But yes, I have, I've tried everything. Here's the thing is I was born a creator. I'm from New York. I knew I had a lot of expression in my heart and I started in plays in off-Broadway and musicals and I moved to LA to pursue acting and I did stand up there. I started doing stand up um, and musical comedy, which is all also very fun. And, and I, all those things are still a huge component of me. I just, I think there was a turning point where I decided I no longer want to put what I love to do at the mercy of other people. I don't want to just be able to do what I love to do because you gave me permission to do it. You cast me in your project. I got to fit your vision of who I look like I could play because back then it was still very stereotypical and the roles that I was getting were, they were always horribly written, misogynistic, never would pass a Brechtel test sort of characters. And I think that landscape is changing. Absolutely. But I always felt like something was missing. And I always, to me, it was my own voice. And I think so early in my career, I was, I lacked a confidence in my voice. And you and I were talking about this earlier. It was like, it is a component of believing in yourself of being like, no, I want to see this story brought to life and I can bring this story to life. Even if that means I have to learn how to shoot it myself or write the music for it myself or tell the whole thing to start to end and raise all the money and do it all. I I can do it. And I want to do it Mm. because there's no more complete sense of self-expression than having full creative control over what you make. And that is such a huge gift. It's also the most terrifying thing you'll ever do because you're putting yourself out there so much and so vulnerably and so personally in a way that it it becomes difficult to take criticism on it. It becomes difficult to show it to people because you're like, oh, what are they going to think? And I'm sure some of us are more involved than I am in regards to, oh, I just put it out there and I don't care what anybody thinks. But there is, it's, I'm literally building my heart and I'm putting it on display Mm. and it is so vulnerable and it has grown a lot less fragile, but she still cares. And I feel more alive now than I ever have because of it. 
whether it, even in the tumultuous sea of being like, oh, oh uh, is it good? Oh, am I awkward? Why did I put that on the internet? What's happening? I still would not have it any other way because I would never know these joys of creating a story from start to finish, of telling a story that has never been told before. And even if only one person sees it and reaches out to me, it was like, I really connected with it. That's enough because that's what really builds empathy or maybe it inspires someone else to go create something. Maybe someone sees that and is, oh, I have an idea. It, I've never felt closer to my true purpose and spiritually been rewarded for going and getting closer to my true purpose than putting myself out there like this, mm. becoming a storyteller, becoming a filmmaker. I highly recommend it to anybody who has an idea to go out and bring it to life because you have no idea what it means to the universe. You have no idea what it means even for your own personal journey of getting over the fear of sharing that. And of course, every time you do it, you get better and better at it. And then you learn how to tell stories even in a way that's engaging, more engaging. And you always, it's never going to be perfect. Let's just scratch that off the table right now. Is there's always going to be like, oh, I wish I would have done that thing better. I should have shot. I could have reshot that shot. Whatever. Let it go. You did it and it came from the heart and it meant something to you. It's going to mean something to other people, even if it's something as silly and fun as misinformation. <laughs> mm. uh, thank you. That's so wise. And there's big ups to you for the journey you've been on. I've been watching it and like when I watch Thank misinformation, you. it's like maybe the thing I feel like most is like respect, uh, which is deep because I'm in middle of a comedy, right? Like a comedy, info comedy, whatever. I'm laughing out loud. I'm smiling. And then there's another part of me that's she's doing it. She's really doing it. Like she, she took uh, agency of her life and. Now she's creating what she finds valuable and doing it in a way that feels good to her. And that's good for you, but it's also good in the sense of what you're projecting out into the world and what you're saying is possible for other people, other women, mm -hmm. other creators, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And I, but if anybody hasn't seen it or has, it was shot entirely in by myself and me and my partner, basically, I in my home during quarantine, literally did everything, but I hired Nick Moore, who did the editing, which was a huge component of the piece. But it's, I've always worked with crews and had big teams of people and really love, like we were talking before, love working with people. I love the collaboration. And I think I used to use it to pump myself up to be like, this person believes in my script, so I should believe in my script. Or this company wants to buy my idea, so I should maybe do more of this. This is a good thing for me. Instead of it coming from internally of being like, I need to tell this story because I know it's good. Mm. Or I know it's not out there and it's filling a, a, a hole or a void that 
somebody is going to see or somebody's going to connect with. And it's entirely possible. Look, filmmaking gear is becoming cheaper and cheaper. Podcasting gear, anything. It's it's all it's the democratization of media. Mm. Anybody can make it. You just have to have a good idea. And it doesn't even have to be the most polished idea. Look, I, you see the stuff that goes viral. It's like somebody just came up with it on a whim sometimes. It just putting yourself out there alone and putting yourself out there in an authentic way that is true to who you are as a person. And it's always going to be a good thing because not only are you going to reaffirm that you are a divine, unique creature worthy of telling these stories, which is an important role in our society, but you're also going to connect with other people and be like, man, if that girl can share her weird, I can share my weird too. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a great thing. Like, I think that's something that I missed as an actor because they always want you to fit in and they always want you to look normal so you can play the every person so that you can book the most stuff. And it's really at the end of the day, the thing that makes you the artist is who you are as a person. Mm. So what makes you unique? What makes you tick? What makes you strange and weird and silly and funny? I want to see that to me is more interesting than the girl next door or whatever ingenue you want me to be. A hundred percent. A hundred percent agree. So I I feel like if we could boil it down to one thing, authenticity, like it's not whether it's good, it's whether it's authentic. And if it's authentic, then it's good because Mm -hmm. you are bringing forth an expression that only you are capable of bringing forth in the Mm -hmm. whole history of the universe, in the past and in the future, there's only one you as cliche as that is, there's only Mm -hmm. one of your story and if you have the courage to really embody who you are, it's going to mean something. Even if it's just the universe experiencing itself and saying, oh, I created that. That's, I like to think of the universe as an artist. If mm-hmm. you think of the universe as like a six-year-old kid and it's just creating like all these things, like who am I to, to the, tell the universe that this is a bad creation? It's, it just wants to be fully expressed and just let that idea out. We're just an idea of the universe playing itself out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think it also brings in that component that you were talking about earlier of like the meditation and spiritual practice of like how well you express yourself is also a reflection of how well you yourself Mm. and how well you have opened those curtains within your own mind to really take a look at who you are. And it took me this long to figure it out. Mm. So uh, it's absolutely. And I think it's so fun now to look back at some of the earliest things I created and be like, wow, I really didn't know myself as well as I know myself now. And how, what a beautiful gift it is as a creator to be able to look back at your old work and be like, I've grown so much. I've grown so much as an artist and as a human being and as somebody who is consciously and knowing themselves and working on that on a daily basis, it's only going to get better and more authentic as you know yourself more. Such a great line. You can only express yourself as well as you know yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of all expressions of art, because they provide contrast points something you Mm -hmm. made when you're 20 versus something you make when you're 25 or something you make when you're 30, help you to see yourself in your own evolution. 
Yeah. They're like chapters. They're like diary entries. It's so fun. They're elaborate diary entries. Man, I can tell you, I'm we've talked about working together and now I'm just really excited at the idea of creating something with you just because I can feel where you're at and where you're coming from. So I'd love that. Yeah. I'm stoked. World stay Mm -hmm. tuned. We don't know what it is yet, but we're going to create something. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I feel that feels pretty complete. I feel like we went through a lot in that conversation. Yeah. We got deep today. Yeah. Are there, it's always deep with you. That's what (laughs) your gift is. You bring that with you. So thank you. Well, I really can't help it. It's just who I am, but thank you for meeting me. And do you have any plans? Like what's the next steps for misinformation to trying to get it out to as many people as possible or. Yeah, we're just excited. We hope we get to make some more episodes of it. If people do like it's, we will have some merch up in our store, which will help support us making more episodes, but even little things like just liking and commenting, it means so much to this team that worked really hard on this project and the greater alternate reality game, because we really are just hoping to impact people on an individual level. And it means so much to us just to get comments and messages um, from anybody telling us what it meant to them or what Mm. they're working on or sharing what it means to them. So all of it, any love and support is always appreciated. And I really hope that I get to see some work inspired by it too. (laughs) That would be be awesome. That would be super dope. That's the best. Thank you so much, Ashton, for coming on and and sharing your gifts and congratulations on the series again for any of those who haven't seen it. Misinformation, like, like the beauty pageant, MIS space information. And the website is what? misinformation.tv so misinformation.tv and then the social handles we'll put in the show notes so that you can find those there and yeah Ashton it was a real pleasure thank you so much it was such a pleasure to you too thank you for inviting me to be here today this is a gift amen yeah this will be fun to listen to again yeah (laughs) all right signing off fam we'll see you next time bye I hope you enjoyed that episode of Awakening Genius and that you feel closer to embodying your full creative expression. If you like what we're doing here, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Connect with us on social media at Awakening Genius. And if you want to go deeper into anything we talked about on this episode, you can go to awakeninggenius.club. This is Dijon. Much love. Peace.